We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing professional esports organizations. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. It's all of the information for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Todd Harris. Todd is the co-owner of esports organization Ghost Gaming, the founder and CEO of Skillshop Media, the chair of the North American Scholastic Esports Federation, and the chair of the board for the Atlanta Esports Alliance. He also previously co-founded major game publisher Hi-Rez Studios, pretty much a video game industry legend. So thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here, Justin. Good to spend time with you. My pleasure. So to start, let's you know, hear a little about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played and how did you get involved in the esports and video game business? Well, I'm fairly old, Justin. So uh, literally Pong was the first game I played. Magnavox Odyssey Pong that my father brought home. So uh, very old school, Space Invaders in the arcade, Atari 2600 with the friends. Uh, of course, um, later arcade games like Donkey Kong. But, but really, I think what uh, set my path was the first PC gaming that I did. My father was a programmer at IBM. And back then in the day, they came out with the IBM PC. And we had a very, very early model in our house. And so playing those early PC games, Zork and Flight Simulator, then later, you know, Doom, those sort of things. That's really what got me motivated that one day maybe I would grow up and actually make these games and not just play the games. Amazing. So you've really kind of grown up watching the whole entire industry evolve from literally the first game ever to where it is right now. Yeah. And what was cool is that particularly those uh, PC gaming days when I was in middle school, you know, that's really where I think for a lot of kids, their, their passions get formed, whether it's traditional sports or music or science fiction, whatever they're into. And so, you know, I was playing these games a lot of times with with my father. And so it was about being social, uh, playing these games together. And then with the PC, because it's an open platform, you can you can modify it. You know, those early games you could you could maybe modify a level or um, kind of change your character and just that planted this seed that you could create these games and it 
it caused me to associate games with socializing and with learning. And um, that's kind of motivated everything I'm doing in esports since then. Amazing. So I guess that kind of leads like the first step in your journey. So let's talk about founding High Res Studios. How did it initially start and how did it kind of grow? So I, inspired by these games, I learned to program. I studied computer science at uh, UNC Chapel Hill. And then I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And I worked for a long time, not in the video game industry, because this was the late 80s, early 90s. The video game industry had kind of taken a, a downturn. And um, so I just got a job making software. And for about 15 years, I worked in various software development jobs, not games, but good companies. And I was fortunate to get on board with a startup company that did well. And I followed that company founder to a couple different companies. And it was successful enough that he made a lot of cash and um, he knew I was big into video games. He was very big into video games. And so we were fortunate that we could start a game studio really on our own terms because back then self-publishing was not so much of a thing. If you were a developer, you typically had to convince a game publisher to give you an advance and you would work really hard on a game and you lived from milestone payment to milestone payment. Even if the game was successful, you might not have owned it. You might not have owned the IP, as they say. But because we had this capital, this money from his other businesses to start, it really let us do it on our own terms. And that was just too good of an offer to say no. So I left the corporate world. We started High Res Studios with four of us, four people. And we just decided we would make the type of games that we were enjoying playing, which were multiplayer games, really MMOs at that time um, were very big. And we set off on the journey with four of us. And uh, today, High Res is 450 employees and about 100 million people have played a game from High Res. So yeah, quite a, quite a journey from those early days. So did any moments kind of like stick out of you when you're kind of like on this journey from, you know, four employees to, you know, where it is now? Yeah, I mean, uh, hundreds of stories, clearly, but um, probably my favorite moment at High Res was when we added a feature to our very first game. Our first game was not financially successful. Most people probably wouldn't have heard of it. It was a game called Global Agenda. It was our very first game. It took us five years to make, and it was very ambitious. And to summarize it quickly, it was like a, a shooter with combat like Halo, but with classes. So you there was a RPG system and skill points and different classes. And so there's a role-playing element. And then the end game was these player agencies that could actually take over territory in the world and battle one another and build tech. And it was just way over the top. And um, the very first time we turned on the what was called agency versus agency gameplay, this idea that players could form agencies and take over land, and we actually saw the map light up as players were attacking other players after leveling up their characters, that was that was pretty awesome. 
right? It's like you have this idea in your head and it's like, this is it in motion and right in front of me. Exactly. Well, it's like one of the great things about games is you just start with a concept and you can bring it into the world. So it's uh, pretty close to, to magic, only maybe more work. So, Right? It's real. It's there in front of you, whereas magic, who knows? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that was definitely real. That was five years and a lot of labor and uh, and a lot of fun when it when it ultimately launched and players could enjoy it. So what were some other memorable releases that you were a part of? Um, well, we continued to make online games like that game, Global Agenda. It was the very first free to play game on the Steam platform. Um, and so we learned a lot about a free to play business model that was pretty uncommon. We followed that up with another free to play game called Tribes Ascend. So the game Tribes is just an amazing franchise. We didn't make the first Tribes games. They were made before us, but we bought that franchise and brought it back in a free-to-play format. And that was another great release for us. Uh, financially, it was about break-even, so where we lost a lot of money on our first game. The second game was closer to break-even, but we learned more, and it really put us on the map in terms of being a, uh, I think we were awarded a top 30 developer award and Tribes was on PC Gamers, you know, game of the year list. It was uh, very well reviewed. And so that was another awesome title. And then we followed that up with the game Smite, which some people might have heard of. Smite's really the, the most successful high-res game. It's a MOBA game like League of Legends or Dota 2, but it has a third-person view instead of a bird's-eye view which allows it to be played on the consoles and it has a theme of mythology. So you can play gods and goddesses and legends from all over the world. And um, Smite has continued to do very, very well for a high res, a uh, very uh, profitable title and allowed the company to keep making other games since then. Yeah, definitely very familiar with Smite and all that it's done in its esports scene. So it's definitely really exciting. So let's kind of discuss some of your other work. We, you know, now you're working at Skillshop Media. What does the company do and what's your role there? So I created Skillshot and left Hi-Rez. Um, there was almost this mission element to what I was doing. Since so many people had played our games and I just saw that gaming was consuming all this attention of young people. And I really just started to think about how we were going to use that attention. And it seemed like we had the opportunity to use it for good. You know, I had seen my own career come to life through video games. I saw my son and daughter develop some good skills through video games. And I just started to believe that we could put structure around esports and, and do some good in the world. So, so what Skillshot does is, um, you know, we connect leading brands out there to engaged gaming fans. Um, but in most cases, we try to have positive social impact. We we do um, events and live productions. So that's at the core of what we do, you know, moving away from the fancy words and just saying, what do you actually do? It's putting on amazing live events and live stream productions. So similar to a company like an ESL or maybe a Nerd Street, an esports engine, there are other companies out there that do events and that do live stream productions. And um, we have an exceptional production studio, a bricks and mortar studio and a live event center. 
and a great team, we just try to architect the events so that in addition to helping the brand that may be paying for it, we're helping a cause. So we've done gaming events that get people out to vote. We did an event when COVID hit called COVID that raised about $300,000 for COVID relief and integrated celebrities like Ninja and Gronk and hip hop artists like Waka Flocka and Lil Jon and NBA players. And it was kind of a a kitchen sink of uh, celebrities, like a Simpsons episode, I guess, of uh, various celebrities from gaming, music, and sports that came together. And those are the sort of events we like to get involved with. Amazing. Well, I know that that's a really huge part of what's going on. So it's always nice to see organizations trying to add that do good component and all of this stuff. So what's some of the previous stuff that you know you guys have worked on? Um, really from the grassroots to the very large. So we're based in Atlanta when the our friends at the Atlanta Rain, the Overwatch franchise here first launched their team. They didn't have any people on the ground here, so we activated the homestand, actually the second homestand ever. Um, Of course, for high-res, Skillshot has powered many, many large events with thousands of fans and millions of people watching. Um, When the mobile game Brawl Stars was launched, we did the first 12 months of their esports scene basically working with them on the tournament format and the rules and conducting all of the tournaments in North America and Europe and South America, Um, Halo, Grassroots. So really across multiple different platforms, um, we work with uh, the games and the community to try to just try to build out the ecosystem. Awesome. So does that include hiring the casters and the whole production crew for the broadcast? It does. Yeah. It it, it really everything um, from the on air talent, like you say, the casters, the host, the analyst. You know, we have a desk to all of the behind the scenes part of the production to video content that might be integrated into the production to the motion graphics that help. You know. Um, give some love to the Coca-Colas or the HPs or the Comcast or whoever the brand is that is kind of brought to you by sponsoring the event. We also do tournament ops. So that's another function in esports of actually refereeing and coming up with the rules. And so we can do as much or as little as a partner might want because some companies out there, they might already have a tournament operations team they like to work with and they'll just use us for production or some companies need a much broader solution. They might in fact start with a consulting project because they don't even know what they should be doing in esports. Should they do an event or should they sponsor an existing league or maybe they should sponsor a team um, or maybe simply buy media impressions on Twitch and Because we've been doing this for a while, we can talk with the brand, we can understand what their actual marketing goals are, and we can work with them to come up with a strategy and then many times actually execute that strategy ourselves. That's awesome. So is it all professional level stuff or is there any other levels like collegiate or high school or anything else? Quite a bit in the scholastic 
space, certainly. Um, a lot of collegiate with our uh, friends at uh, NACE, uh, National Association of Collegiate Esports and CSL, um, another group, CSMG, a uh, group out of Atlanta called the HBCU Esports uh, League. Um, and the same in, in high school, there's various different leagues and providers that we've worked with in the past. So, yep, quite a bit from youth all the way to pro. Amazing. So in addition to you know stuff with Skillshot, you're also um, part owner of Ghost Gaming. So tell us a little bit about the team, what titles do they compete in, and any recent news? Yeah, so Ghost Gaming is is great. It's kind of the newest thing that I'm spending time on. I um, I guess I'll step back and say when I was at Hi-Res and we were setting up these leagues for Smite and Paladins and other games, we were fortunate because we could work with the, with teams from all over the world, from the very well-capitalized, larger teams that people might know to some smaller upstarts um, that also participated in the title in the minor league or kind of at the academy level. And so so that was interesting where I kind of got to see from a publisher point of view how these teams were doing what they were doing. And of course, every team was doing it a little bit differently. And so while there, I kind of thought, yeah, if I leave high res, um, this team thing could be interesting and some things I would do the same as everybody else and some things I would try to do a little bit differently. So fast forward to um, today where a group of Atlanta investors found an opportunity to acquire Ghost Gaming, which was built originally in Los Angeles a few years ago. And we just thought it was a very awesome brand, um, the name, the mark, the logo. It was very differentiated in the space. We just thought it had a cool look that was somewhat different. And we thought it would resonate with an Atlanta audience. And that while there were multiple great esports teams out in LA and other parts of the country, there was still room for a pro team and a lifestyle org here in Atlanta to represent the South and the Southeast. So those investors acquired Ghost Gaming with the mission of really growing it as Atlanta's home team, basically. And so today, Ghost has multiple competitive rosters. We play in Rocket League, we play in Valorant, we play in Apex Legends, we play in Fortnite. Those are uh, kind of some of the primary competitive titles. And then we also, like many esports teams, have really focused on um, also live streamers and creators um, on YouTube and TikTok and other platforms. So as of today, Ghost has a social media following of about 32 million, um, and uh, it's it's doing great. Amazing. So let's kind of explore some of that a little bit. So what are some benefits that the organization sees from having streamers and content creators in addition to the competitive teams? I think ultimately esports, the audience is hungry for content. We, We know that. And so I think of it as competition is just one form of content, but there's other forms of gaming content that are 
just as popular. So it's always very important to us to be strong competitively in the titles that we're in. And that's kind of the, the core of the organization. But for players who were maybe once competitive, but they more enjoy just engaging with their audience and, and growing their audience, well, that's another opportunity for us to grow ghost fandom as well in a different sort of way. And when COVID hit and some of the normal competition was shifting to online or in some cases was canceled or postponed, content creation could still continue. So it was a way for us to continue to grow and engage our audience. So I think that variety of content just lets us reach different types of gamers. Absolutely. So how does it kind of work with, you know, which, how you decide what players you sign and which titles to enter and compete in? Yeah, well, the truth is there's a great general management and competitive team that is not me that's keeping their, you know, ears and eyes to the ground there. But in general, of course, there's an element. Um, well, when it comes to titles, let, let's start with that. When it comes to what titles to enter, um, there's probably, you kind of think of, of at least three different criteria. Uh, there's popularity, just, you know, do we think this title is popular now and will remain popular? There's partner opportunities. Is this a title that allows us as an org to um, kind of have some sort of official partnership with the publisher or with the platform that gives us sustainability? And then performance. You know, is this a title where we have access to players to help us actually perform and be competitive? So an example might be a game like Rocket League, um, very popular, like many of the games that we're in. It's free to play. It's available on a bunch of different platforms. Um, it's uh, It also is great because it's brand friendly, you know, T for teen, no violence, not that um, that you know, we have some other games that are more mature, but Rocket League is also great in that respect. And then there are partner opportunities, you know, for Ghost. There are Ghost branded cars inside the game Rocket League, and uh, they extend that to their other team partners as well. And they went one further step where they said, hey, Ghost and esports teams, you can pick one partner and bring them into the game as well. And so our friends at Control, uh, Skyler, who I know you had on uh, recently, um, you know, took advantage of that opportunity. So that's really great thought leadership, I think, by that developer, Psionics and Epic, to uh, allow teams to put inventory in the game and even extend some of that inventory to uh, a partner of the team. Definitely. So I think we're kind of like tease that out a little bit. So there's always this debate of, you know, franchise leagues and you know, some of the benefits and drawbacks of the leagues and tournaments operated by the game publisher and those with third party event organizers like ESL and Blast, you know, obviously mentioned being able to work directly with the publisher for a league to bring sponsors. Do you think, you know, there's benefits to both sides? Where do you guys kind of stand on that? I think it's still open, and I really don't think there's one model that's right for every game. Um, and I also think, you know, people use the term franchise, and that might be the same or might be different from 
first party versus third party. First party, my head, meaning the publisher's running everything and third party or more open, you know, being a scene, let's say like Counter-Strike. So in my mind right now, um, I think that more open scenes, but where there is still some partner opportunity, whether that's with a third party event organizer like an ESL or like a Skillshot um, or with the publisher, still tends to work best than uh, you know more closed off scenes. But again, as you know, every game is at some different point in that in that uh, spectrum between open. And close, and I think they're all still kind of learning on what the right model is. Do you can you foresee the future? Do you think one's going to dominate, or it's still going to be kind of game by game how involved the publisher wants to be in it? I think it will not be one model fits all. I mean, with traditional sports, you have your franchised leagues here in the in the states. People are used to NFL and NBA, and you know. The Atlanta Hawks are always going to be in the NBA, whether they win or lose. But if you look at European soccer with relegation systems, it's a more open system. And if you look at other sports, you know, tennis or golf, it's more of an event by event sort of um, scenario, right? Which tends to be more what many people associate with first person shooter titles. And then, you know, action sports are, are a little bit different themselves. So, I think because esports is at the level of sports, not at the level of the NFL, um, different esports are going to have different competitive formats. And some publishers are going to want to do it all. And many are going to want to uh, have partners do, do that uh, work for them or on their behalf. So someone kind of coming from the traditional publisher and now kind of working as an esports team, what kind of benefits do you see, you know, a publisher in having this developed esports ecosystem where the teams are involved and you have content creators and this whole, you know, business attached to your business existing? Well, I think the primary benefit, whether the publisher decides to do it as what I'll call a marketing spend, where they look at esports as primarily a cost, um, which many publishers do, or they might do it as, um, let's say, media, where they actually are trying to build a, a revenue business around it. But regardless of which way they go, I think that what the the facts show is that... Um, a thriving esports scene does benefit the game in terms of not just more people discovering the game, but your players spending more time in the game, which often translates to spending more money in the game. So, and and we we actually did a very formal study of this when I was at at high res with the game Smite. We got a couple PhDs from from Emory to do analysis on this and look at a cohort of players um, who were the same in behavior before an esports season and then looked at the behavior of the group that engaged with esports content. You know, they were watching the Smite Pro League and another group that did not. And again, they had the same play and spending behavior before the experiment, if you will. And it showed very clearly that those that watched esports played more and spent more. So 
Um, maybe that's not the result in every game, but I tend to think it is more cases than not, which just shows that when a publisher's thinking about where to put their support dollars, they could do, you know, TV ads or banner ads, Facebook ads, um, that if the game aspires to have some competition, esports can be a good marketing return for them, even if it never becomes a standalone revenue source for them. Right. It's just like throw some tournaments, kind of just get ways to engage with the people that are really, you know, as you saw, the people that are really into it are going to keep getting into it. And that personality, it's like, oh, I'm getting better at it. I'm learning how to get even better at it. It's like you go down that rabbit hole and those people end up wanting to consume more and more. Exactly. They're your most passionate, you know, fan base, right? So feeding them an opportunity is, is great. Amazing. So, you know, operating a team, what are some, you know, typical issues and counters? I know you said you've noticed them from, you know, over your time working as a developer. And what are some pitfalls that people operating a team should look out for? Well, I mean, you'd, you've got to be patient. I mean, it's no surprise to anyone that these esports organizations, I mean, most of them are not generating profit right now. And that's pretty much the not a surprise. Like, that's part of most teams' business plan right now. So um, that means you have to be very, um, you know, just very deliberate and intentional around the, the, the spending plan and the revenue plan, right? And so I, I feel like because esports and gaming has gotten so popular, sometimes folks from outside the industry you know, maybe it's an athlete or a, or an artist or someone who has a great following and they just think, oh, I'd love to start up a team. And uh, they just kind of fail to, to recognize it's a whole real business that takes people well beyond the players. So yeah, you've got to definitely be um, patient in terms of the return on investment because we're still in early days. And you have to realize that most team orgs at this point need a back-end staff besides just the players and just the creators. These are people that are working on partnerships and selling sponsorships and helping with the coaching of the players and the management of the players and maybe even the training of the players. Um, so social media management, a lot of other functions that are not front and center. Right. It's like it's the whole business. It's not just going to a tournament and winning. It's making sure you get to the tournament on time, that you have airplane tickets, that you have hotels, that you have the tech you need in order to compete wherever you need to. Exactly. Yep. Exactly right. So switching gears a little bit, tell us a little about the Atlanta Esports Alliance. What is it and what is some of the stuff they're working on? Yeah. So it's here in Atlanta, a division of the Sports Commission, so something called the Atlanta Sports Council. And most major cities have a group like this whose mission is to go out and win and host big sporting events. So specific to Atlanta, we're fortunate because we have a great airport. You know, it's like the most well, most traveled airport in the world. So a lot of domestic or international competitors or fans can just get here. There's big hotels, there's venues, there's all these things that let you host big events. So back in the day, they won the Super Bowl and got to host it here or the Final Four, these big events. I was and at the Olympics there. Yeah, exactly. Way back in 96. So I I, I, I did uh, 
I was scorekeeping for table tennis, which is a sport that I like, but that's another story. But um, yeah, so so really the idea with the Atlanta Esports Alliance is taking this same template and, and resources that we have and going after the large live esports events to bring them to Atlanta. So that's part one of its mission is bring big events to Atlanta and host them. And then the second part is just to help grow all of the esports companies here, help them support one another because we do have multiple publishers here. We have high res studios. We have Ubisoft with, um, with Brawlhalla, uh, Tripwire, um, multiple esports teams. So not only ghost gaming, but Atlanta rain, Atlanta phase Talon, um, and, uh, quite a few land centers and venues as well. So, um, it's a great, it's a great group. We're, we're just getting started because it was launched before COVID and then there weren't too many live events, but we're now very, very active out there talking to other event organizers and IP holders and helping them understand the advantages of having an event here. Amazing. Well, it's definitely good to see more cities kind of really embracing this and kind of getting it on this higher level that can actually make things happen. Because I think that's something that you've seen in Orlando and obviously in Texas and LA and California where you have this endemic businesses where they're just doing things to foster these big events, making sure they're utilizing the facilities there. And, you know, it's good to see that someone's trying to stand up for the A. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's maybe somewhat counterintuitive because people know gaming is global and of course gaming is digital, but this idea that there can be real economic impact in a region, whether that's a U.S. city or you know, Canada, UK, a lot of these areas that we're Poland, like that city in Poland. Like- exactly right. So yeah, it really shows events like that show the impact um, that that these big events can can have. Events can have in terms of tourism and hospitality, and then of course teams and and developers can have in terms of uh, year round jobs in the area. Definitely. So what's adv- any advice you have for anyone trying to work in the esports business? That's a good question. Um, I mean, right now it's still pretty fragmented and, and wild west, I think. I, I feel like most people really, really know esports or they really know business, but they don't know both. You know, it's kind of where they came from. So um, I guess at a high level, it's good to know both, you know, it's, it's good to really get in there, play games, go to events, uh, work tournaments, you know, see a production happen. Um, but at the same time, if you've only done that, um, it can be helpful to have experience outside of the esports industry too, because esports is still a very young industry. And so I think if you can, if you can do both, um, that's great. We've actually here at, at Skillshot, one of the things we do is is workforce development. So every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, literally right next door to our production studio, there's a there's a classroom. And um, you can 
come on site and actually earn college credit. This is a partnership we have with the state of Georgia. So you earn college credit at your university, you come in, and you actually can take multiple esports classes. And um, it's been a great program because you're not just getting a lecture. You, you at the end of the class, the whole class is actually doing everything around an event from tournament organizing to playing to commentating and being the talent in front of the camera to helping with the production on the back. So you really get um, exposure to all these different esports jobs. And then you can take more classes specific to one particular job. Maybe you decide you want to be a commentator, a shoutcaster, and you then can take a class in that. So, um, so that's a really cool program that we've done for about a year and a half. And we're also this summer going to be rolling out a, a summer camp version of that for high schoolers, which is a way for, uh, you know, when you're a little younger to, to get a five day version of that same experience. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely big on the academia and kind of tying this all in. So it's great to see you guys are bringing that all. So what's your favorite part about working in the esports and gaming business? I think it's the people. I mean, it, it's it's when you're actually at an event and you're seeing the passion of both the people that are making the event happen and that are, are coming uh, to attend the event. So, you know, there's just um, particularly being virtual for so long. And on the one hand, it was great because esports could at least continue when music was shut down and sports were shut down and the viewership was still skyrocketing on Twitch. And that was all fine, but there's nothing quite like being at a live event. So um, that's really what gives you the charge. I mean, when I was back at high res and would go to an event, we would be showing off, let's say Smite and, you know, I had people come up and show off their Smite tattoos, right? Where they literally had, had inked themselves with characters from the game that, and those characters were just creations from our artists that didn't exist in, until then, at least not in their, in their uh, visual form, right? So um, yeah, things like that are pretty motivating where you see the fans having that much love for what you're, what you're putting out there. Definitely. Like we said, it's like taking that idea and bringing it to life. And now it's, you know, inked on them forever. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly. So to kind of bring this all towards the end. So what does the future hold for ghost gaming and as well as for Skillshot Media? So for Skillshot, we do really want to be the premier production company in the U.S. Um, we're, we're lucky because here in Atlanta, Georgia, for the past decade, we've We've seen a lot of uh, film and TV production happen here and, and move here. So just about every Marvel movie is filmed here and Walking Dead and Stranger Things. And, you know, you walk out and you just see film shooting trucks kind of everywhere and celebrities up and down the street. It's quite a change from when I grew up. But um, but that's that's um, that's happened. And uh, we have the ability for that same sort of thing to happen around esports production as well. And, um, for Skillshot, we want to see that happen. So, um, so that's really our goal here is just keep, keep growing the number of productions here. And then with ghost gaming, we want to be Atlanta's home team for gaming fans. Um, and, uh, again, I think with ghost, maybe our aspiration would be looking at what's happened in terms of hip hop culture here. 
um, where for a while there was East Coast, West Coast battles. And of course, there's still great scenes everywhere, a lot of great talent all over the U.S., but Atlanta is pretty firmly um, cemented itself as the cultural home for a lot of a new hip hop artists. And so we want to do the same thing with gaming talent, both competitors and creators. And hopefully a lot of that talent wants to rep Ghost, align with Ghost, collaborate with Ghost. So that's what we want. Okay, cool. So we want to kind of merge the Atlanta club and music scene with kind of what's going on in the gaming world. Exactly right. Yep, exactly right. It's, you know, culture, it's really gaming beyond just competitive gaming, but really the culture lifestyle side of it. And because we happen to be located in Atlanta, that will, that'll influence the flavor and the voice a bit. Awesome. Well, I definitely, you know, wish you guys luck. I've known Ghost Gaming for a while, so happy to see you guys, you know, kind of pick it up and lead this charge with it. So we're excited to see where it evolves. Thanks. Yeah, us too. You know, right now, again, coming out of COVID, we're, we just announced a Ghost Headquarters is going to open up um, in the heart of the city in Buckhead, right next to Skillshot. Um, so we've got production. We've got a classroom. We'll have the Ghost Gaming Headquarters. And uh, this spring, we'll open a live event center there. Um, not a huge one because there's already venues around, but uh, it'll be able to hold a few hundred people um, with a massive LED screen and just kind of a, a cool venue um, vibe for people to hang out and compete and play. So that is happening. And now we're in the process of having a lot of our creators and players um, kind of move to Atlanta. We're not we're not forcing it overnight because everyone's got different situations, but more and more of them will be here in the Atlanta market by spring and then still more by summer. That's awesome. I, I definitely am excited to see what you guys can do. I think kind of having the in-market and the ability to do this stuff at these unique venues is definitely going to you know, add its own flair. That's the plan. That's what we're hoping for. So. Amazing. So, you know, this was so great. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell me where they can connect with you. Yeah. Um, if uh, people want to connect, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and then secondarily Twitter. Those are probably the two platforms. On, on both of those, um, Todd Allen Harris, T-O-D-D-A-L-A-N Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. And if they're interested in checking out the companies, um, skillshot.com for production and brand consulting and events, and then ghostgaming.com for the esports and lifestyle org. Definitely. So, everyone, make sure you go check out Ghost Gaming. Give them a like and a follow on all the socials. And thanks, everybody, again for tuning in. And make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin JESQ, and check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.